I'd tell you the details, but it's not like I made them up. Your problem is you spent your whole life thinking there are rules. There aren't. Believing as I do, like the good Dr. King said, a man should be judged on the content of his character, not the color of his skin. Yeah, he's dead. You're gonna need a different quote. I just charge for parking. You think they're gonna ask questions when they come with their pitchforks and their torches? It's just a flying saucer. We gotta go. We had a piece of pie like that since the Garden of Eden. Simply deliver a message when the time comes. Message to who? To the wicked. We're very friendly people. No, that's not it. Pretty unfriendly, actually. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Very Friendly People. This is a Fargo character breakdown podcast. I am Thomas Potts, and with me is... Jack Breeden. And, uh, yeah, we are two massive fans of the FX Fargo TV series, and I... I've seen, or rather, I've listened to a lot of different Fargo podcasts uh, over the years uh, that are often episode breakdowns. And I thought, well, why don't we do something where we every episode break down a specific character from the series? Because I think that I think it's fair to say that the characters pretty much make the show. Oh yeah, entirely a character-driven experience. I think more than than anything else. Certainly not a. Well, we'll, we'll go into this anyway. My my thoughts on sort of. Uh, uh, film noir and, and mystery and kind of how Fargo approaches that kind of evolving yeah. narrative through characters more than, oh, this is revealed and this is uncovered and who's going to react to this? Because yes. certain elements appear in the show uh, seemingly out of nowhere, seemingly nonsensical, but they, they play a massive, massive part in, in the story, more so, I think, than any other show, I I, I would say. I possibly, yeah. It's it's very much its own sort of animal. I think that uh, season one is um, a bit more sort of familiar ground. It's kind of coming off mm. the back of your, your Breaking Bads and your True Detectives. And yeah. it's in later seasons where even though there are little flickers of uh, something that's a bit more quirky and a bit more bizarre, that uh, the later seasons really kind of take that and run with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think, well, I think... To start off with, I think we need to kind of discuss what what the hell is a Fargo? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So um obviously Fargo is based on the uh, movie by the Cohen brothers, mm-hmm. uh, which is actually not set in the town of Fargo. I think the, the beginning scene is set in Fargo and then the rest of the film takes place in Oh, where is it again? It's in is it oh, I'm trying to think now, because Bemidji is in the TV show. It's not Duluth, is it? Duluth. And yes. Brainerd, Brainerd and Duluth. Brainerd and Duluth, that is right, yes. Um, and so, um, yeah, very uh, successful film, bit of a cult classic of just this um, quirky little crime caper with a big dose of dark humour, all set in this cute little Midwestern town with the cute little Midwestern accents. And oh, it's, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, you'll betcha. Oh, yeah, you'll and, betcha. Uh, yeah. <laughs> And uh, just uh, yeah, it's, it was such a very, a very unique film, I think, uh, particularly with regards to its kind of approach to um, the the character of the detective, and you know, having this character who is a pregnant, uh, yeah, well-meaning, well-mannered, friendly, chipper, uh, yeah, small, not dumb, cop. not yeah, not dumb. Expect yeah, exactly, which a lot of yeah, because that's kind of the stereotype, isn't it? You kind of have the hick, uh, bumbling uh, cop, which you do get in the show with a, with a few characters, but mm-hmm. Marge in the film, you know, you, you kind of expect a, a gritty, you know, uh, nihilistic, whiskey-drinking, cigar-smoking in a dark Dude. room. Yeah, 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 exactly. And here comes, uh, you know, Marge. Marge. Francis McDormand wins the bloody oscar for it well deserved i should say well deserved. very much so yes no she does really well um but um what's really interesting about the the television shows because we've we've seen quite a lot of this now of sort of people taking movies and turning them into tv shows and what they usually do is they will literally just take the movie 
flesh it out a bit and put it on the small screen. Whereas the approach that um, showrunner Noah Hawley did with uh, this uh, FX mm. show was that he basically created his own story while borrowing certain archetypes that were set yes. up from the Fargo movie, uh, yeah. but also do dove into the rest of um, the Coen brothers' filmography in mm. order to make his own TV show. And it works really, really well. Yeah, because it, it, it's not only, uh, I suppose, it's, there was, a, I think I remember this back when the show first aired, there's a lot of debate of people like, oh, is it a, a total remake? Is it the same as the film? Is it going to be something entirely different? Because obviously there was another planned Fargo TV show. A it was, of, yes. A pilot is, is currently on YouTube. Uh, I yeah, think following the adventures of Marge, basically. Yeah, and it was going to yeah. be more of a sort of villain of the week uh, mystery show where Marge has to try and... Almost kind of like Columbo, really. Yeah. <laughs> It was yeah. basically Columbo set in the world of Fargo with uh, Tony Soprano's wife playing the role of March. Yes, uh, Eddie Falco. Yes. Yeah, yeah, Camilla and Nurse Jackie, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly like been a thing that people have wanted to do for a while, and it's almost as if they've had to wait for television to kind of catch up to what they yeah. would be able to do. And what, what I absolutely love about this show is that uh, as I've said already, it not only is an adaptation of the film, it is a celebration of yes. the entire Coen Brothers filmography, but even goes further than that and becomes its own animal. And it becomes this, this huge, sprawling American mythology. It, I, I decided a long time ago, Fargo would be my Star Wars. This is this wow. is the oh, realm right. okay. that I want to okay. kind of absorb. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, as, as a as a Star Wars uh, uber fan since since birth, my dad is also a, a you know a Star Wars nerd. I I do understand that that's a weighty claim, but I I respect it, and I think I'd agree. I think I'd yeah. happily jump on that ship. Sinking or other. Plus, it's 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 easier to absorb all the Fargo than it is to absorb all of Star Wars. Well, well, because because every character in Star Wars has a has a has a, a novel about them, has a name, has a costume, has a history. Every background alien, every recycled costume is another character. Yes. Um, but Fargo, you know, Fargo is amazing names, of course, for every character, but it doesn't have Droopy McCool. Fair enough. Who, it does who, not have who, He is a real Star Wars character in Return of the Jedi, Max Rebo's band, he plays the clarinet. <laughs> but, but I, I mean, I, I mean the, the, this is the thing, I mean, the names in Fargo were so evocative, and it, it, it almost kind of reminds me of, like, Charles Dickens, yes. when he, like, he'll say a character's name, and it's like, I immediately know who this character you is just from hearing You absolutely can picture his face and his nature and his mentality and his history all through just language. Absolutely, but yeah. Two words, two words, and you've got a character. Like, Carol, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm jealous, Un <laughs> undoubtedly jealous of that skill. It, yeah, it is. It is a knack. And and speaking of words as well, you know, Noah Hawley managed to take this kind of Minnesota nice cadence and way of yeah. speaking that was created in the, you know, it's it's obviously a heightened version that's made for the movie. And he yeah. turns it into the almost sort of Shakespearean style poetry because there are some beautiful monologues and beautiful bits of verbal slapstick that happen yeah. throughout yeah. the show, which are just absolutely incredible like as much as like there's great visual spectacle i think it's the dialogue and the interplay between these characters that we're going to be discussing that really fuels the fire of what an amazing and multi-layered show this is well those things perfectly in my mind show off genre and blend of genre which really uh i suppose complements what the i think the meaning of the show is um because i you know jo joel and ethan cohen making fargo which is their sixth film after hudsucker um, proxy i think it is yes i believe so at the time of commercial flop it really didn't do well and fargo yeah, I, 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 I watched it for the first time recently and it was oh, yeah. it wasn't one of their best but you know you can enjoy it for the kind of weird looney tune yeah movie yeah 
Yeah, and, and Noah Hawley, um, I think, picked their style of complementing humour and and drama and horror, I think, because I think mm -hmm. it was Joel Cohen who, a uh, little trivia fact for you, uh, was an yeah. associate editor on The Evil Dead with Sam Raimi. Who, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I think, yeah, Sam Raimi, of course, has, has horror and comedy, you know, he's, he's the master um, I think he might be one of the masters of horror. Yeah, that, mm -hmm, that, absolutely. That, that group. Uh, uh, you know, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, and Army of Darkness, of course, is loads of slapstick, which involves ripping off of limbs and undead ghouls possessing women and, you know, faces melting and then eyeball flying into a woman's mouth, <laughs> you know. Um, and so the Coens have certainly become kind of an arbiter for that blend Um with their stuff, uh, Fargo in particular, Burn After Reading, um, and then sort of the more serious stuff, you know. Um, no Country. No Country for Old Men. I mean, Anton Chigurh is a straight slasher, slasher villain. He's, like, he's Jason Voorhees meets the Terminator. Yes. You know, he has his look, his haircut, and his, and his overalls. He has his choice weapon. You know, Freddy Krueger has his glove, Voorhees has his machete. And he has his silent shotgun and and uh, air canister. <laughs> yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, but he's kind of one of the 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 archetypes that the Coens usually come into, which is the the unstoppable evil force. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Which we'll definitely be talking about. We'll have a lot of episodes in the show um, about uh, Lord Malvo, of course, and Varga, and you know all the others who who sort of creep up now and mm -hmm. then in this show. Yes. Because it's it's interesting the kind of dichotomy that tends to um, come to the centerfold for every season, and mm. you know one one of the great things is every season is its own self-contained story, and yet they all intersect and connect and speak to this wider universe. But yeah. practically every time they'll you know set up these archetypes. Sometimes they'll put a bit of a spin on them. Sometimes they'll completely turn turn to a completely different direction when you think it's going down a certain direction it always keeps yeah. you guessing like that and um i've completely lost my point now <laughs> it's great it's a great show yeah we're gonna ramble on this show and i think uh tough you just have to stick with it uh, exactly. <laughs> it's just it's it truly is um we do have an immense love for the show and, and mm -hmm. I, I think I've watched I watched the first three seasons like five times I wow. believe like, I mean almost every day I watch a scene on YouTube just on my phone yeah me too uh, yeah 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 good good thank god thank god I'm not alone on that uh, yeah. <laughs> uh what was the one today oh the tornado which uh Yes, because you've just finished season four, haven't just you? Just finished season four. This was yeah. really, yeah. But what, what was so interesting is that obviously, like, I, when you know all this craziness started happening, uh, yeah. and I knew that season four had been delayed indefinitely, and I was like, oh, I, I need, I need it, I need it now. And so I went back and I rewatched all of the seasons of Fargo, but I watched them in chronological order rather than. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. So I watched season two, then season one, then season three. Season three, yeah. Yeah, and then obviously it doesn't make sense because season four, you know, takes place before any of them. But you know, it made sense at the time. And you know, but like thinking about it more and more, it's a miracle that that series ever happened because they filmed the last two episodes in the midst of COVID, basically. Yeah, yeah. Just for for. for... Uh, I don't know future listeners if they ever if that ever happens. Uh, this is currently being uh, recorded in January of 2021, so still possibly halfway, possibly close to the end. Uh, you'll know, yeah. but we don't. <laughs> this is basically somewhere between a podcast and just a means of staying sane. Really, yes, yes, yes. a desperate attempt of clutching at the shreds of humanity and sanity as we're we're locked in our digital cells. Yes. Wow, that was yes. depressing. Uh, 
that's the thing. That's the thing as well. Like you know, as you know, a lot of people who may not have actually seen the show, although I don't know why you'd be listening to this podcast if you haven't. Yes, yeah, uh, it doesn't have to be no. said. Spoilers! My yes. God, there's going to oh, be so spoilers. many spoilers. So it, many spoilers. You have to watch this entire show. So much context will be just so foreign to you if you don't. There will be spoilers show. for things that may not actually have happened in the show, but we <laughs> think might have happened. Like, yeah, that's the, that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, and probably for most Cohen movies as well. There's a lot of homage oh, yeah, in this show. Absolutely. Um, yes. Uh, so. But um yeah, but yeah, after talking about like this show of being like elements of crime and horror and all this stuff, and the show has classic. such and, and comedy, yeah, dark comedy. And but there is such a genuine warmth to it as well. Yeah. Which is I think really sets it apart from like a lot of other kind of black comedies and to be honest to be perfectly honest a few quite a few coen brothers movies who tend to have a bit of a a nihilistic view to their films whereas i think that the tv show might have just a little bit more sense of hope and yes which which i think kind of which is really I think it's it, character driven. It, yes, it's it's this optimism, this really chipper nature that a lot of uh, the characters in Fargo, which is you know the stereotype of someone from Fargo, uh, hmm. I think is this unending, unwavering sense of in the end things may be bad now, but in the end things will be all right. Things will make sense. And smiling not, at the void. Smiling at the void. Exactly. The end comes yeah. to us all, so we might as well enjoy the ride. Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. I mean, it's also really interesting, like, because, I mean, the show actually deals a lot with, like, you know, religion as well, which is something that Noah Hawley mm-hmm. has expressed an interest in always talking about. As a as a man of faith myself, it's really interesting to be able to see that layer to it as well. There's a lot of references to Christianity, but also, like, Judaism and, yep. um, you know, Scientology, I suppose, yeah, as well. Yeah, well, just fables in general as well, Aesop's fables and... Uh parables about good versus evil. fairy tales and... oh yeah oh yeah a lot of fantasy uh elements wizard of oz especially in, in season four of course yes um yeah. yeah which is interesting because um the, the coen brothers once said uh, every movie they tried to make they were essentially just trying to remake the wizard of oz yeah oh wow okay i didn't actually know that oh, mm-hmm. even i'm learning something uh, <laughs> uh yeah and and as someone um who's a, a, a as an atheist i suppose mm-hmm. this show uh i've still got a massive interest a real keen sort of academic uh like you're interested in studying religion basically yeah yeah in in, in understanding where these stories where these legends where these lessons sort of originated from and what they mean uh and how they can still be applied to, to modern days they did you know back in ancient times um mm-hmm. and i hope that in this podcast we'll have good discussions um, with, with with ourselves, you know, because we're obviously having yeah. two fairly, I suppose, not conflicting viewpoints, but but two two sides of a coin of of what we think about the world. Um, I like to think of it story wise that we both because we're both very similar in a lot of ways. We both like yes. a lot of the similar stuff, and the same outlook on things, same politics, the same viewpoints, the same understanding about stuff. And in terms of story, I think we both uh, very much agree on the middle, but we disagree entirely on how it begins and ends. Uh, <laughs> Quite a good way of looking at it, yeah. I guess, you know, we, we want to... And, and also, like, we, we also want to promote kind of, you know, the, the title of the series is Very Friendly People. So let's yes. try and be very friendly people ourselves. Yeah, I, yeah. The, I think the point of what we... Why, I think you uh, chose the title of this. I think the point of this quote, it kind of shows... God, I'm going to be very, very academic, very... I'm going to put on my philosopher's hat here. Oh, OK. Oh, what's going on, guys? <laughs> but what the characters reflect in the modern life? <laughs> How we relate to these characters? Um, obviously, Very Friendly People is, is a quote from Mike Milligan uh, and, and Lou Saltz. who says it, yeah. Their dialogue in which it's a... He says that we're very friendly people, and Mike Milligan very much disagrees with that fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that kind of strange paradox, I think, on which we can be two opposite things at the same time. If that makes mm. sense, like you and I, you know, we disagree on on how the universe was was constructed, uh, 
but we both agree on what it is now. And and how how so how can one person how can you both agree on on a made thing if you both have entirely different ideologies on how that thing was made? Mm. And, and yet we do. And the character you know, <laughs> he, he says we're very friendly people, um, but it's the you know they're they're very unfriendly. Very unfriendly, actually. It's that mm. strange paradox of how can they be both at the same time? How can uh, if we're going through characters, how can Lester Nygaard be a, a well-meaning, trodden-on uh, husband in a, I say, abusive, kind of emotionally abusive relationship? Yeah, how, yeah, I was wondering that as well, yeah. How can he be he, this, and then also this underlying Walter White, Tony Soprano-esque sociopath in which... How can you be victim and villain at the same time? Exactly. How can you be sympathetic and yet so totally... Uh, undeniably evil acts are done through this sympathetic lens. How mm -hmm. can you relate to Mike Milligan and fall in love with Mike Milligan as I know you do, as I know I do and yet go, yeah, but he's he's the bad guy. How how can I relate to him? How How is looking at his origin story in season four uh, looking at him as a kid and seeing how he was raised, how does that make everything justified? Does it make everything justified? How can we live with these paradoxes? How can we understand seemingly nonsense? How can an alien cause a crime boss, uh, the younger brother in a crime family, to die in a car crash? How can that then cause, you know, Peggy and her husband to become wanted criminals? How how can all this happen? How can they choose this? How why do the aliens do this? Why don't we have an answer? Um, and I think the point of this isn't to make, well, it is to make sense, but it's not to have a concrete answer. It poses questions more it than anything else. It poses questions, yeah, yeah. And I think you just have to take away with uh, your own understanding and listening to other people's understanding. I know we've discussed a whole lot about, about TV shows and about other stuff in general in the past, I think. Mm -hmm. In which I've I've taken something away and I go, wow, I, I view this quite differently, I think. Or 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 you say something and I go, actually that's kind of concrete, that's kind of reinforced my ideas uh more so perhaps. Um mm. and I think Fargo does a fabulous job of doing this without being pretentious, without being you know, that kind of people staring out to the night sky and going, what oh, why are we? Why are this? You know, what's it all about? It's just people in the snow uh, being friendly to each other, all understanding, yep, I don't know why this has happened. What I do know is that it's cold. Let's get warm. <laughs> I, went on massive, yeah. I, went, I went on a massive tangent there, and I do That was beautiful, man. <laughs> that was good. Well, thank you. Good. Thank you. I hope... Um... <laughs> I was clutching at the straws halfway through, but I think right at the end, I, I, I niggled a little... You saved it. You saved it. I saved that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, speaking of um, questions being posed, I have a question for you, Jack. Shoot. So, uh, if you had to rank each season uh, in mm -hmm. order of personal preference, uh, what would your ranking be? I think, without a doubt, my favourite and least favourite are unwavering i think always well maybe not always will be we'll always see what, what happens with season five it may be the greatest mm -hmm. piece of television or you know utter utter garbage um it won't it or won't. somewhere in between it, it <laughs> yeah uh, uh so number four out of four i think is season four i think you might mm -hmm. agree on this um we i i would yes yeah, it's it's wonderfully shot. It's a beautiful. The soundtrack is superb. The the mm -hmm. characters and the acting is is next level. It's truly something to watch and um so I don't I just the remember. premise as well is so yeah. unique and also like oh, fair play to the show for having a lot of, you know, prominent black actors as well, which none so of the other seasons really had with the exception yeah. of of course mike milligan in season two yep and and having them not all be the same type of character having them all serve different mm -hmm. roles within the show within the world having uh you know no stereotypes having both heroes and villains both sympathetic mm -hmm. 
and some of them do certain acts that you go, oh god, that's that's pretty villainous. I'm not sure if I can if I can relate to that. Um, and it's you know at the height of you know the whole Trump thing and and the way that the world is now. I think that that does take major balls <laughs> to have that mm-hmm. on, a, on a TV show. Um, that's the thing. It's usually it's landing. usually a very sorry 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 to interrupt i was just gonna say it sorry but like it often it often does comment on not only the time that we're living in when the show is made but also the times in which the show is set because obviously it's set in different periods throughout history yep yeah exactly i i don't want to you know um kind of uh, seem pretentious here uh but <laughs> but i will so that's that's the whole reason for this podcast jack Go that on. Is, yes that is yes to stroke my massive ego uh <laughs> <laughs> i have to put this drama degree to some use um <laughs> it's just sitting there doing nothing um no jack, jack we need to retrain remember like the ballerina and the advert of course yes yes work in cyber like some sort of Doctor Who episode in which the Cybermen <laughs> Cybermen create a job centre. Uh, <laughs> I would watch that episode to be fair. I, w- I actually, that's quite good. I'm not going to lie. I'm not. I'm not even going to lie. That's quite a good concept. You go in and you come out. Yeah. Anyway, um, the point being, the point being is that art as a whole obviously has to be entertaining, of course, um, mm-hmm. but it also it does reflect the world. It reflects the world in which it was it was made. You see that in a lot of nostalgic shows now are made by, you know, uh, people who grew up in the 80s. And so there's a hell of a lot of 80s, you know, Wonder Woman 1984, Stranger Things, big neon, big 80s pop music and the fashion all happening in, in, in the show. And then you watch movies in the 80s and they're all nostalgic about growing up in the 50s. And there's even that idea of, you know, the the sort of American Northwest almost being just slightly behind the times, no matter what time yeah. period they're in. Yeah, slightly isolated from the rest of the world, its own kind mm-hmm. of little petri dish uh, of, of, of growing things that uh, bubble out of proportion uh, <laughs> for a lot of well-meaning and some unwell-meaning uh, characters. Yes. So, Thor's fourth. Yes, uh, so so four is fourth. I, I I loved it. I think if it was any other show, it would be one of the best seasons of that show. Mm-hmm. But it 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 was missing something that all the other seasons had. A I lot of, a lot of interconnectivity was was missing. I think there was a lot of great characters, but I don't think all of them were utilized enough. Yep. A lot of their deaths. Were, were good, but they did they they just missed an impact. I think that mm-hmm. a lot of other characters in other seasons got, um, and also all the other seasons have a mystery throughout. Um, you know, like the Coens, they love a, a sort of film noir esque kind of unraveling narrative of this character has a secret, and all the others are this close to figuring it out. Or in season one, some of them have figured out. But other yes. characters are stopping them from doing anything about it because they yes. they figured out something entirely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and unlike other detective shows, which are like, we've gathered this evidence. He's my main suspect. Oh no, but he's died. So that means that it must be someone else. You're the surprise reveal. With this show, it's all, you're fully aware of the mystery and it's all just that, that, uh, whistling kettle of its oh it's bubbling up it's bubbling up you can hear it constantly and at one point it's going to burst if someone doesn't do something about it and mm-hmm. a lot of the time it's, again it's basically Columbo but yeah you know that Columbo's always going to get it right we yeah. don't necessarily know that in the world of Fargo yeah and like real life you know it's why the show it's why the film starts with this is a true story because of course it, it's that's a load of a load of bollocks. <laughs> it's not a true story. It's it's an entirely fabricated thing. Um, although the film was based upon someone being in a wood chipper in a in a new story, yeah. but, but that's and, and and throughout the season there are like references to true yeah. life events, yeah. or you know at least you know the things that people the tornado. Claim through, you know? Yeah, the, the tornado. tornado. Even Fargo. even the even the UFO in season two yeah. that was that was a first hand eyewitness account. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but the true story motif isn't to say 
what happening what what is happening within the story is true it's just the, the entire thing is fictional but it says something that is true it allows yeah, it's a story to, in the style of a true story yeah, movie yeah almost. it allows you to believe totally outlandish things because outlandish things happen in real life every day i mean we mm. live in 2021 truth is stranger than fiction yeah well truth is stranger than fiction 2020 is by far obviously you know i've only lived 22 years so i can't speak for all the rest certainly the strangest year of my life and i've spoken to people you know far you know much older and they said yeah 2020 i it's just plot twist after plot twist we go well it's real life there's no plot it's just things happen things yep. come out of nowhere accidents can occur and when they do in this show it feels on brand rather than you know when an alien shows up at the end of season two if that happened in any other really strict narrative-based crime show, you'd go, wow, these writers really lost the plot. <laughs> They're scraping mm -hmm. the bottom of the barrel. Aliens end up at the end of the episode. Woof. But in this, it's like, yeah, I know people who've seen aliens. I know loads of my family of ghost stories or or, mm -hmm. or, or have had visions, which is even, even a stranger concept. You know, this is coming from... Uh, uh, an atheist, a realist, a, a somewhat positive nihilist in terms of uh, how the world works and how, you know, chemicals in our brain make this and that and psychology and laws of physics and blah, 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 blah. Um, and, my, you know, and I respect, and all my families are skeptics, yet they felt something. They felt mm -hmm. fear when they had an out-of-body experience. They felt reflective when they had a vision they felt wonder and amazement when they thought they saw an alien or, or, or a ghost in the window or something spooky occurred or they had a dream foretelling an event that would happen the next week. Um, my mum is constantly claiming she's a psychic. Same with my sister. She's big into Buddhism and spirituality and that kind of thing, but she's not religious at all. Um, but she claims that, you know, certain things will happen and then suddenly a phone call happened confirming this, you know? And if you had that, mm -hmm. and, and to have this put in a TV show, um, if certain weird, fantastical elements like that were to occur, you'd go, oh, this is a bit weird. The atmosphere doesn't quite blend. It doesn't quite work with having these elements in it that seem so gritty and real. But with Fargo, it's just, a, this is a true story. You can't the argue weird with it. The <laughs> does happen. And you can't, you, it just is, you can't argue with it. I'm not going to say that they didn't see that because they saw it. They, they're not, they're not lying to me. They may not believe it, but they did see it. And that's why I think I love the show. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, uh, were, we oh, were, we were ranking a list, weren't we? Uh, yeah. So you, so you got, you got to the first one. <laughs> we got caught the way there and I talked okay. about, anyway. Uh, okay, keep going, keep going. No, this yeah. is good. This is good. So, season four is number four, and mm -hmm. then I think I'm going to be strung up for this. I think, but season one is my third place, and I'm I not sure agree. if you'd agree or not. I would um, agree, actually. Yeah. Oh, would you? Okay, good. Phew. Oh, All right. Okay. So we'll 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 die side by side at the gallows. That's yes. fine. Uh, <laughs> I think my my thing um, with it's I, I mean. I mean, we're basically doing our list just kind of parallel to each other now so I was mm. going to say that like the thing with season one is like you know I I love it and uh, to be honest like I almost feel like it's a version of the movie that I almost kind of prefer because it's able to yeah. be just a little bit more weird and a bit more fleshed out because obviously it's a lot longer you can spend more yeah. time with the characters and really getting to know them yeah. um but at, at the same time I think the a lot of the other seasons were able to go in directions that are so different. You know, mm. they weren't as tied to the original source material and had a bit more kind of flexibility to them. Yeah, there's certainly uh, a limitation of season one. Well, not a limitation, but there was uh, a weight to it. It, it. I think when they must have had pressure on making the show, coming off the heel mm. of, you know, award-winning cult uh, film like know. this show should not exist is the thing no, it should there's no should way that this show should ever have been made yeah it should have been either a failure or just no one 
thought the script was any good. They should have just thrown it away and gone, it can't be done. You can't do it. The film's been mm-hmm. made. Uh, just leave it at that. But it's a miracle. You know, the, the, the weird does happen. This is a true story. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, by whoever's grace, uh, it managed to be made. Um, but yeah, with season one, yeah, it's probably. certainly tethered to the first film. It's a, a spiritual sequel in the fact yes. that you have uh, Jerry Lundergaard is Lester Nygaard, Marge is Molly, you know, um, whilst also being a secret sequel, which you only find yes. out. I can't remember which episode it is. It, it's quite a way in, though, that mm. the supermarket king reveals, oh, he found the briefcase that Steve Buscemi... Uh, yeah, because... Because that's one of the main divergence, like from the, like what you think is kind of the main plot, and you're like, "Why are we mm. spending time here now?" And then you're like, "Oh, right." That's the tether to that. That oh wow, it's all interconnected. And I think that helps with uh, reinforcing the whole uh, structure of this interweaving narrative. I think by having that kind of quite meta interweaving aspect of oh it's also tied to the to the movie so the movie happened oh wow okay and so all the weirdness of that all the the grittiness and all the humor of that is now moved over to this and so if you love the film you're now going to love the show even more i think yeah i agree and i mean as a first season of a show i think it's 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 perfect it, it, I, I, absolutely. it built the base that seasons two, three, and four could then spring off of in all different directions and grow upon it. You have to have strong foundations, I think, to build something upon uh, within a TV show, especially. And season mm-hmm. one is as, as perfect as a, as a foundation as, as you can, I think. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's Shakespearean. It's gut-bustingly hilarious. Yes. It's spiritual without being exclusive. Uh, and in, in, in that way, I kind of mean, you know, it touches upon or has motifs or ideas or metaphors that, that feed into uh, religion and spirituality mm-hmm. and fables and, and stories um, that yeah. everyone, I think, can relate to, even if they it, don't like a certain character or uh, like another one that someone else hates or, you know, they all find something uh, that they can find themselves in. Yes, absolutely. It's like, obviously, that's where they first struck this kind of incredible balancing act between the kind of real and the kind of surreal. It, it's it's almost between like a documentary and like a comic yeah. book world. The strange, yeah, strange blend. Absolutely, yeah. When we move to... I feel like this is where we kind of diverge a bit. Yes, the, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sec- second place for me is season two. Mm-hmm. Uh... And by that, I, I, I assume you mean your second place is season three. That's correct, uh, yes. Uh, season two for me is um, uh, better than season one in terms of it's just more of what I love mm-hmm. um, and, and expands it, I think. With season one, there's a lot of archetypes um, that kind of stick quite closely to, art, to their archetypes. Lorne Malvo yep. being a perfect villain, you know, outside evil, weaseling his way in and, and spreading his evil, mm-hmm. um, is that Lester Nygaard is meagre and grows up into this outrageous villain character. Molly is this well-meaning, always ahead of the game, always knowing the truth while everyone else around her is, is doubting her. Um, and with season two, we get those types of characters, but with another shade thrown in. With Mike Milligan, you're like, oh, he's this tough gangster enforcer character, but why is he speaking? Why is he quoting these weird... Uh... Why does he recite the entirety of the Jabberwocky? <laughs> exactly, exactly. Why, why, I think, is a good mm. question for any TV show to ask <laughs> of an yes. audience. And season mm. two does that more so than season one. Um, yeah, uh, season two is the one that's most concerned with this idea of, uh, obviously I'm breaking into my number one spot now, uh, of like surrealism and absurdity, yeah. which, you know, as 
as a believer, I can't ascribe to it as a philosophy, but I find infinitely fascinating. Mm. And like, I'm so close to kind of believing it myself. Okay. Like there, like there, are, there are books of the Bible that I've read that like have a lot of ideas that you can kind of ascribe to Albert Camus, particularly like in things like the Book of Job and stuff like that. Of like, just sometimes things happen, and there's no, there's nothing you can do about it. There's no control over that. You just have exactly, to yeah. Play the cards you dealt with, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. I think that I think that's one reason why I. I love season two. Uh, and like you say, it's it's bigger than season one, and yet it never it never falters. Everything is able to be tied together, but not in yeah. a very overly cutesy way. It still yes. leaves enough, just enough dangling threads to make you think about what could possibly happen next and some of the mysteries which are still left unanswered, but it's still satisfying. It's satisfying yeah. and yet unsatisfying at the same time. If your show can pull off the inclusion of aliens out of nowhere and stick the landing, you've got a masterpiece on your hand. Amen. Yes. Absolutely. Um, American Horror Story Season 2 featured aliens, and that, in my opinion, is the best season of that show. I think uh, there's the... Aliens just make everything better. Aliens just make everything better. (laughs) So good. The giant hovering UFO. uh, And you never see them. As well, which also adds yeah. to that, that mystery. You know that it's aliens just the, are there. the lightest sprinkling of sci-fi. Exactly. All you need. What's the? Because obviously that is a massive homage to the ending of, and I'm my mind is blanking now. Billy Bob Thornton, the man who wasn't there, the man who wasn't there, which that, might be my favorite of the Coen Brothers movie. I'm not sure. Wow, I, I'll have to re. I saw I saw it years ago, and it's obviously mm. due a, a rewatch. Um, as we as we progress throughout this podcast, I'll be talking about it quite a lot. Excellent. Good, good. Um, and, and I think the point of, of that scene in that movie, um, we warned you, we warned you, we're going to be talking about the Cohen movies, we warned you. <laughs> You're like, when, when are they going to talk about Fargo? We warned you, we warned you. <laughs> yeah, to be fair, in all fairness, uh, <laughs> uh The point of that is obviously fairly nihilistic, I, in, in my interpretation. He sees this UFO hovering in the distance and then it flies away into the clouds again. And he doesn't tell anyone. He doesn't have some sort of sudden realization. Oh, the aliens were behind. You know, it's nothing like mm-hmm. that. It's just, that was weird. Anyway, can't do anything about that. Got to get on with my life. Mm. Um, it's kind of the idea of just sort of like being like, wow. The universe is so much bigger than it's, I ever anticipated, yeah, true and in that awe. it is, and it's like in that instance, yeah. it's like we're we're here, and like all I'm thinking about is you know trying to solve this crime or trying to take over the family business or whatever they're involved with, and then they see that and they're like, wow, none of this actually really means squat in the grand scheme of things. But then, obviously, you know, then the next shot is fired, the UFOs run away, and it's just yeah. back to basics again. It's oh well. Better keep going. <laughs> well, yeah, it's what Peggy and Ed said, you know, as they're running away. Ed is like, Just oh, a flying saucer, Ed. We gotta go. Saucer, Ed. Come on. It's like, oh. Possibly my favorite quote throughout the entire show. I mean, Peggy, Peggy is just such a oh. amazing, such a perfect Fargo character. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. They'll be yeah, we are, we are, we are, we are. about the Blumquists. Um, but yeah, the, the UFO motif, I, I think, again, Calling back to what we were discussing earlier, the, the paradoxical nature of of things. Goodness, wow, that's a that's a that's a heavy that's a heavy phrase for a paradoxical uh, nature of things <laughs> about a podcast about a TV show. Uh, but it's that you know that nihilistic, depressing thought of wow, I really don't matter. Things out there are so big and vast, and yet it's awe inspiring. You go, wow, that's kind of a freeing thought actually Mm -hmm. that if whatever happens to me it just happens and there's so much more out there to 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 experience and to learn from and to look at and observe and to Mm -hmm. never know the answers to and that's that's fine i think it's scary absolutely as a an atheist the concept of, of dying is is the end that is horrifying but um freeing in a way I suppose mm. it, it makes me appreciate 
life. It makes me appreciate the things in the moment. Having these little moments of of reflection on, wow, this this place is bigger than I thought, makes me more attentive on the smaller things. I think that's what the show does. It goes, look at this massive UFO, bright lights hovering down, it's booming, thundering, hovering noise, and then it's gone. And you go, mm. oh, what's left? Oh, yeah, I'm solving a crime. I'm trying not to die. I'm mm. <laughs> trying to think... rescue a, a loving couple from the hands of a, you know, a, a, a killer Vietnam vet. Yes. I think I think it's fair to say that this show, as well as taking a lot of cues from the Coen brothers, also takes a lot from David Lynch and yes. Twin Peaks and stuff like that. And I remember... I'm, I remember listening to David Lynch talking about how his films are to show kind of the horror that lies at the heart of things, but in order to show people the beauty of yeah. the mundane. Oh, yeah. And it's the idea of like, you know, the warmth of this show is when, you know, the people, they come home and they see their families and they just sit on the sofa and just enjoy a meal together. And they're like, yeah, I, I had a bit of a bad day. And they're like, oh, have another slice of pie. Yeah. It's, well, it's that kind yeah. of attitude of just like life goes on. Yeah, and that's definitely the most prevalent in season two compared to any other season. I Which think. is probably, again, why it's my favourite. It's the, it's yeah, the one that's that the warmest. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, yeah, if Peggy can, you know, make tater tots for Ed and talk about buying the butcher shop and, and you know, uh, just their life and making a family and, and the kitchen sink drama of that, there's obviously tension there with those two. Ed is very much set in his traditional ways of you know i work we'll have a kid we own a business and the house and the car mm -hmm. and that's the way it is and that's it that's all i want and peggy loves ed evidently but there's something that she disagrees with in that yeah and then that's immediately immediately like a car crash uh <laughs> is then broken by uh it's not like a car crash it is a car crash by an actual car crash by her bringing home what she thinks is a dead guy on the hood of a car uh, <laughs> who then turns out to you know be involved in this massive crime story you know that massive thing that then highlights the importance of the smaller things again yes um which is why i love season two which is obviously mm. why you love it above all others yeah and I guess also, like, j just to qu quickly mention this as well, like, in a lot of the, the seasons, you get the one character who is just complete and total evil. Yeah. You get oh, your yeah. you get your Vargas, you get your... Um, Malvo. Malvo's and that. In season two, even the characters who are clearly meant to be that, they, they have a... They have a rationale. They have a reason, you know. Yeah, there's a certain you know, like, shade to them, a sympathetic edge that you go, there's something yeah. more to you, something more human, because Malvo is certainly devil-like, obviously. Yeah. A big theory that Malvo could be the devil himself. And mm -hmm. Varga is very much this horrific wolf-like tumour that just comes in and, and feasts and grows and then, you know, leaves everything to die. Mm -hmm. um, and season two, I think Hansi is is perhaps the spiritual successor, even though it's a prequel, to the mm -hmm. Malvo kind of character of this unstoppable one man killing machine. And then we but he has pathos all about his, his history, in the war, his pathos in the war, and him being a Native American, and the the weird relationship he has with with the country he's he lives in and has mm -hmm. fought in. You know, he's a war hero, and yet. Yeah. He's a villain, and yet you're sympathetic with him. He wants, you know, he's 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 tired mm -hmm. of this life, and that one phrase that that uh, breaks down the image of of Hansi, or it did for me anyway. I kind of went, God, do I even know this character mm -hmm. anymore? What what is he? He's he's such a yeah. And again, we'll talk about him in a later episode. So yes. look, look forward to that. Um, Absolutely. And Mike Milligan, of course, being the other. Mm -hmm. Who again is it, it does represent this kind of chaotic evil, and yet th there is still that element of just like, yeah, but this is a guy who you know is living in a time where the color of his skin makes you know everybody see him as lesser, and yeah. so of course he has to be overly educated, of course he has he to is, be overly masculine. He has to talk like he's white, I think. Yeah, we discussed this before. The, the manner of his speaking is very much he's picked it up around him in order to survive. Yes, I think there are shit. There are 
uh, layers that are pulled back occasionally with a few line reads. Like, mm -hmm. uh, oh, this is perhaps more like what he's grown grown up in as a kid with his family, with the cannons uh, mm -hmm. uh, and that that gang and that neighbourhood. That's going to be an interesting episode because obviously mm -hmm. we'll have to refer to not only him in season two, but also his kind of origin story. Absolutely, yeah. I think with a lot of characters, obviously you're with Lou, he's in season one, and, mm -hmm. and with Lester being just in season one, but Martin Freeman comes back for season two. He does, yes. For one That's right. episode for one um, narration for Hansi yes. and why that's important, why they chose mm -hmm. him, so, which I think will add into the Lester episode, um, which will be the next that's a episode. Good call. That is a good call. Okay. I think, yeah, I think, I think that's probably the safest option to do. Cool. Um, and so I suppose swiftly move on to our number one place now. Okay. Which well, you know what mine is, and uh, yeah, well, well, by process of elimination, we know what yours is as well. Yes, it is, of course, season three. David, you are a god. I mean, yeah. To it's be fair, it's certainly the most depressing, the most cold. I think debatable. Um, I would, I would also would argue maybe season four is also really? kind of like okay. that, to a certain extent. Uh, I think I think also another uh, really good credit is is due for season two and season four on set dressing and period piece. Beautiful, the show it, looks gorgeous. Yeah. It, every aspect is set in that time period. Every uh, sideburn and popped collar, yes, <laughs> wood paneling on cars that Americans seem to <laughs> seem to have. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it just is beautiful, absolutely beautiful. Um, so, so credit where credit's due, but mm. the set dressing for season three, I would say, is the coldest. It's a lot more machine-like, a lot of mm, fair enough, and greys and blacks and whites, a lot of talk on technology, I think, more so than any other, both in the sci-fi writing of the future robots and the androids and the spaceships, and then also with, with Carrie Coon's character, um, the mm. kind of technophobe Luddite mentality of I can't use these computers, these laptops, these sinks won't uh, register me as a human being, and Varga with his hacking and his constant monitoring of information, um, which again really plays into the, the timepiece of, of, of uh, 2010 you know, post 9-11, social media is, is really ramping up. Data protection is a massive, massive issue all over the world. Mm. Um, and that kind of global politics thing is brought into season three, particularly with Varga and his ever-changing accent and it is his multilingual skills and his, and his uh, uh, Russian and, and Asian uh, lackeys that he has, you know. Yes. Um, but season three's, yeah, like I think in the same way that season two is your favorite, it being the warmest, uh, <laughs> it being your your favorite. I think season three is my favorite because it's the coldest. Mm. Uh, and I don't know what it says about us. I don't know if if that uh, plays into our own personal ideologies. You know, religion versus I think I think the kind of warmness and this energy and this this talk of soul, I think, on this warmth within people is quite a big prevalent uh talking point in religion, I think. Mm. And certainly with the more atheistic scientific uh realism approach, I think I, I, I have on the world. A lot of a lot of coldness and a lot of fact things are like this because they are made this way this is how this works and this is how this works it just is it's just how it was made but fargo does that and and creeps in a subtle warmth energy particularly particularly with carrie coon at, at the end gloria burgle gloria burgle what a, a a beautifully beautifully written and an acted character absolutely I, and a character who i my first viewing of season three i didn't appreciate very much because i just thought she was constantly being sidelined and it's only at the end you realize that's kind of the point yeah yeah the, character. the whole world seems to be 
a totally foreign and just not even paying attention to her. Mm-hmm. And it's just through her own conviction, through her own Fargo, Minnesota mentality of, you know, the night is dark, the night is long, but at the end of every night is 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 the dawn. There is something mm-hmm. better. There are deep fried Snicker bars, you know, tomorrow. Even In Gilead. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. There is there is some, a light at the end of the tunnel. There is, you know, and it's not a religious thing. It's not a spiritual thing. It's just a, a people thing. It's mm. just, you know, the world is full of fact, full of information, full of technology now, full of just cold atmosphere, big corporate overlords seemingly taking over. But mm. there are still people, and those people will still fight, even though, even when they doubt themselves, as Gloria does. But mm-hmm. she sticks to her guns, and at the end of the day, she's recognised by that faucet. She does, yeah. you know, she is recognised and picked up. There is something at the end without it having to be some sort of reward, some sort of grand knowledge, you know, some answer to the universal question. At the end of the day, it's just, you know, she has no marriage. Varga may at the end get away. People have died. She may have not got the recognition. But she has a son, and she has deep fried Snicker bars. Exactly, and I think it also like you know it speaks a lot about the sort of like even though these stories are not in- intrinsically connected too much, there is kind of like a narrative through line, which Definitely. is kind of like the idea of this sort of slow death of the kind of traditional family values and the growth of sort of yeah. individualism and more sort of this kind of economic sort of. Um, mindset this is kind of hunger almost i think the atmosphere of season three this capitalistic beast is its own character which uses varga as a vessel which uses emmet as a vessel which uses Mm. you know almost everyone as as some sort of vessel to we see that capitalist force just evolve throughout every single yeah. season until it yeah. reaches this kind of personification in Varga. And at the yeah. same time, you see the the kind of opposing force of this kind of, you know, just sort of g- genuine goodness that's yeah. constantly struggling against it. And again, it's this kind of, you know, it's the White Lodge and the Black Lodge in Twin Peaks. It's this yes. immortal struggle of good and evil. Exactly. It's, exactly. it's God and the devil. It's, you know, ah! Yeah, I know. I know. What, what a show! What a show! Mm-hmm. Um, and with season three, acting is immeasurably good. Immeasurably I mean, good. every season the acting is true. That is good. that is true. That is true. Um, mm-hmm. And the, the the score by Jeff Russo on every season mm-hmm. is, is superb. But with certain ones of season three, certain the song choices, you know, moaning and. Um, Reason calling Anson and Chuzo. All right. All right. <laughs> what a bop. What a yeah. fantastic and totally unheard of for me personally. Yeah. Dude, and then you get Mongolian throat singing. And, <laughs> <laughs> and Noah Hawley doing like his own covers of songs. Yeah. As well. Yeah, like yeah. basically the, the head writer used the show to launch his own <laughs> music, music career. career. That's been the that's been the truest story of all. Noah yeah. Hawley is just been using this as a vehicle to become a pop star. For uh, <laughs> it, I'm for it. <laughs> to be honest, um, I'm, I'm surprised that throughout every single season there hasn't been a use of any music from Inside Lewin Davis, which I've always found very surprising. Oh, well, that's a fair point. I mean, season five might, uh, mm. uh, we can only theorise now, might 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 feature uh, more. Come on, let, let's do that. Let's theorise. Jack, what, what do you think season five might bring? Because Noah Hawley said that it's going to be a more contemporary story. Yeah, it's... I think if they continue this for like, you know, 10 or 20 seasons, you never know. I mean, based on the pattern now, it seems to go modern period, modern period. Mm-hmm. Um, and so obviously him saying that the next one's more contemporary, more probably more modern than the one after that, perhaps more period, but we'll see. Um, and so that's probably going to be closer to there to today. So the first mm-hmm. season is what, 2006? Yeah. Third season is 2010, so the next one, what, 2014, 15, 16? 
Well, I, I almost think like, you know, because obviously we probably won't see another season for a while. And I just yeah. remember thinking like, what on earth would 2020 look like in the Fargo universe? Oh, yeah, that's true. Like just everybody walking around with the masks and, you know, th because this is the ultimate death of Minnesota Nice and Hello Neighbor is the one where you, you can't you can't talk to each other. It's a world in which Varga has won, essentially. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. It's all digital. It's all information. It's all trackable. It's all, well, track and trace. It's all uh, everything is monitored and listened to and sold off for, for money. Mm hmm. So maybe this season is, will be the coldest, will be the darkest. But I think if it is set within COVID, or if that is even a factor, perhaps it being the darkest on that front, I think at the end will be eventually the brightest at, towards the end. But I'm not sure. I'm really not sure. Because obviously Fargo is such a... Uh, is barely a presence in season four. Obviously, mm -hmm. with Mayflower, she is from Minnesota. She's definitely the connecting point. And, of course, with, with Mike Milligan, who eventually goes on to go to, to Minnesota and, and, and the events of Season 2 happening. Um, yeah, I'm not sure what will happen in Season 5. It'll be wonderful, and I'm excited for it. Me too. Um, and certainly now, being older and more aware of... of what's going on in the news in the world i think when i watch that i'll go oh yeah i lived that i went through that that's me that's my struggle that's something i've yeah. seen in the news oh i remember back in the day where this happened i'll be saying you know in 30 years time when i look back on season five of fargo um why what about you what what's what's your season five in your mind oh dear man i mean like, like i say I, I, do, I do think it might be this kind of 2020 type thing because uh, I think it would fit this kind of pattern. Um, oh, I don't know. No, I, to be honest, I agree with everything you've said. I think I think it does need to be a season where there is a kind of initial hope of everybody pulling together, and Definitely. you know, it might it might almost be sort of like we start off, and you know, it is this kind of thematically, you know, it's this the the the, the evil side has kind of fully taken over now yeah. but it'll end with this kind of at least temporary temporary vanishing of that when when everything goes away and they're able to take off their masks once more definitely i think perhaps the outside evil of that season might be just the world it might be mm -hmm. what's happening in with covid with with history with politics with all this constant social media bombardment of, of negativity I think um, and perhaps maybe season 5 will play off that because obviously every villain seems to be this well not foreign outsider um, in, mm -hmm. in way of you know perhaps a, a, a racism but, yeah but an outsider definitely but an outsider yeah. coming in, invaded perhaps, in yeah. it, perhaps season 5 will play on that and perhaps mm -hmm. the outsider is the good guy and obviously, you know, racism has been a big thing in, in season four and, and touched upon in season three and season two. Um, and certainly today is a massive talking point with mm -hmm. the developments in, in every field, it seems. And I think perhaps it'll turn it on its head that the outside force is good and what and this evil that is spread over Fargo or Minnesota or these characters, the evil is in them. It's this solitary xenophobia, maybe. Mm. I mean, well, we saw that very much in season four with Nurse yeah, Mayflower, didn't we? Exactly, and perhaps it's 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 more evolving, more evolved, I should say, in season five of these characters who maybe are not even villains, but they have this mentality of people need to stay away because there's a plague. But also, mm -hmm. the news is constantly telling you all this and that, and it's us versus them. So I think maybe season five will develop the kind of foreign evil outsider intruder mentality this xenophobia perhaps um mm -hmm. maybe maybe i'm completely wrong and it will be something entirely different and just as i mean yeah you never um, know exactly you never know you never know cool but excited absolutely yeah that. and i'm excited for the rest of this podcast as well i'm really looking forward to absolutely into absolutely different characters yes so as we sort of discussed over I don't know, these few weeks with this, we're going to be um, looking at 
characters per episode, the history of these characters, the the reason for them, our own interpretations, and, and a few other Their surprises. performances. Yeah, we'll have a few surprises, I think, in discussion uh, for people yes, listening definitely. in, um, as well as you know, for ourselves, I think. I think there's a lot of things we'll, we'll bring up that we haven't even thought of, perhaps, uh, as we have today. Yeah, as definitely. Today. Yes. <laughs> I thought this was only uh, going to be twenty right? minutes. It's been a lot longer. Right. I just checked the time now, and goodness, this is a this is a hefty boy. <laughs> um, That's good. Hopefully, there's something usable. Hopefully, people listening to this have enjoyed. I know I have. Me too. Uh, so I just want to say thank you, uh, Thomas, for this opportunity for for letting me. Well, thank you, Jack. I, I couldn't have done it without you. Oh, well, thank um, you. Thank you. I mean, you're right, of course. You're absolutely right. Uh, but <laughs> I'd like to see you try. No, no. We, yeah, this thing couldn't be possible without you, bud. Um, oh, cheers, man. Um, mm. And so I'm, I'm very thankful for, for this show uh, on that front. And I'm very thankful for oh, you man. and for anyone else who's, who's going to be listening to this uh, insane incoherent rambling of two slowly <laughs> going insane Afargo aficionados. Mm -hmm. uh, but I'm, I'm, I am thankful for Fargo. I am thankful for Fargo as well. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to this pilot episode. And uh, we will look forward to speaking to you guys pretty soon in the first official feature-length episode. We'll be making a social media for this podcast. Uh, yeah, by Twitter or, Twitter or Facebook, Facebook page. Uh, at Very Friendly People. Um, mm -hmm. If it's any different, I'll record something at the end of this and add on to the episode <laughs> if I couldn't get Very Friendly People. Um, yes, so check us out for that for updates uh, on future episodes coming out. If you have any questions, that's where you can reach out to us. If you have any feedback, please do. Yes, absolutely. We'd love to hear feedback. Uh, but, you know, try, try and keep it friendly. Very friendly people in this. Very friendly people. In this community. Absolutely. Very friendly people, exactly. Um, so thank you very much for listening, and we'll, um, we'll catch you next time. Again. Yes, you betcha. This show's wonderful music was composed and performed by George Matthew, who you can find on SoundCloud at georgieboy-2. And the incredible artwork is done by artist Dan Reese, who can be found on Instagram at reesery.illustrator. That's at I-H-Y-S-C-E-R-I dot illustrator on Instagram. Right. Well, there we go. That's it. Woo! That's the end. So that was the practice run, yeah? Uh... <laughs> <laughs>